welcome to A Rumor of Empathy with your host, Lou Augusta. Lou is one of the premier empathy consultants in the community today. In this program, Lou and his guest experts will help you understand and expand your empathy. In doing so, you may discover a side of yourself that you never even knew existed. Now, here is Lou Augusta. Hi, this is Lou Augusta, and welcome to A Rumor of Empathy. Today, we're going to look at the past 12 shows about empathy in one whirlwind round trip to empathy and beyond. So I am going to give you, the listener, one or two highlights from each of the past, actually 13 shows, 11 guests, and use this like an index or a table of contents so you can decide which of the previous 12 shows you want to listen to at greater length or drill down in detail. This is going to be a whirlwind tour. Ready, set, let's go. On April 8th, 2015, I had a conversation with Daniel McDuff, principal scientist, Affectiva Software. And also, I want to give a shout out to Rana, Rana Kalubi and Gabi Zitterfeld there at Affectiva. So, key takeaway they are automating the experience and the interpretation and recognition of emotions emotions on the human face. Key takeaway, micro expressions, facial micro expressions. So for example, consider an example, the enigmatic smile of Leonardo da Vinci's painting, the Mona Lisa. This is a micro expression. She seems to be smiling, but yet there's a trace of something else. Is it a guilty secret? Is it something she doesn't want to talk about? Is it something she wants to talk about? And so the colleagues there have, in effect, automated Paul Ekman's facial action coding scheme, 5,000-some different combinations of spatial expressions. He's identified, and they've identified, now they're using it in advertising and focus groups. We don't, you know, if you want more detail, you get to listen to the April 8th show in all of its detail. But here's the idea. The micro-expression, so it's a focus group, the, the the person there doesn't know what to think of the new product. They say they like it. The camera, the micro expression shows they're bored and really have contempt for it. In law enforcement, now that's not their action over at Effectiva, but in law enforcement, the micro expression of contempt on the otherwise emotionless face of the would-be terrorist at striking back at the running dogs of Western imperialism. There's a micro expression there. And so... That's the key takeaway. More details, see the April 4th show. Listen to the April 4th show. Next show, the next show, on April 15th, I had a great conversation with David Howe, author. Empathy, what it is, and why it is important, in which he encapsulates, I mean, this is the book I wish I had written. Ladies and gentlemen, I encourage you to buy my books, A Rumor of Empathy, Rewriting Empathy in the History of Philosophy, A Rumor of Empathy, Resistance, Narrative, and Recovery in Psychotherapy and Psychoanalysis, a uh, uh, so I encourage you to buy them, buy multiple copies and read every one. Nevertheless, I wish to give a shout out to David, David Howe. In many ways, this book is rigorous 
and yet accessible accessible you can get at it it's got all the essentials on mirror neurons whether they exist or don't exist and so basically in uh, chapters 9 through 11 uh, David focuses on client experiences clients in psychotherapy in dynamic psychotherapy and why empathy forms the heart the heart and soul of the psychodynamic process how is a, I would say, a uncompromising advocate of the healing properties of empathy. It's not just that empathy allows the therapist to get inside the experience of the client so that he can give the experience back to the client in an interpretation that makes a difference. I mean, that's, that's good. That's, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not the complete story. Being the recipient of a gracious and generous listening, empathy, is itself a source of healing. Being gotten in one's struggle and effort can cause a shift in the direction of opening up possibilities for moving beyond one's stuckness, one's uh, dealing with whatever is one is dealing with and moving beyond one's suffering into acknowledgement, possibility, accomplishment. Now, no doubt, Carl Rogers is a significant influence on David Howe's synthesis. But I believe how moves beyond Roger's mirroring and recognition, important as these are, to something like what I would describe, now this is Lou Augusta, what I would describe as an empathy cycle, empathic receptivity, empathic understanding, empathic interpretation. These are delivered to the client in an empathic responsiveness that tests whether the therapist gets it, gets it in relation to the client or not. Now, the devil is in the details, and for the details, you can listen or listen again to my conversation with David Howe on the April 15th, 2015 show. Check it out. Empathic responsiveness is the key to why empathy works. Next show, my next show with Professor James Garbarino was on April 22nd, 2015, 4.22. I mix it up with Jim Garbarino, actually uh, professor chairman uh, of psychology at Loyola University, Chicago, doing amazing works. The occasion was the publication of Jim's latest book, Get Ready, Listening to Killers. Listening to Killers, in which Jim reports on his 20 years of work pro bono work in the criminal justice system, advocating on behalf of people on death row. So now, just to manage the conversation, this is not the innocent project. Uh, These individuals came out of something and there were a dead body, at least one. Uh, And so it is confronting and difficult. And why is this about empathy? Well, think about it. It's easy, or I should say relatively easy, to listen to the survivor, to listen to the victim who has survived a crime or some confronting trauma or some something. Now now let's take the bar up several notches. What is the story? What is the narrative? What does the killer, the person on death row, have to say? How did you? And so basically, Jim's question is, well, what happened to you? How did you get here that you are on death row? 
what is your narrative that I might report to the court on it? And so, uh, and so there, uh, Garbarino takes a powerful stand for humanity and what is possible for human beings. This is a human being. And not to excuse it, many of these individuals should not be let out of jail. Uh, they are, as Jim says very provocatively in some ways, these are very scary individuals. Tattoos, rippling muscles, vacant eyes. He brings forth the disturbing fact that their emotional and cognitive development was often cut, cut off at five years old, eight years old, uh, due to dysfunctional families, no families are worse. And then something happens. And so uh, the challenge there is to test our humanity. Is what, Where is the, the core of humanity that one can find there without, without saying the individual should get out of jail, without saying that what they did was excusable, there's no, we're not making any excuses, what we are doing is using empathy to find the humanity that may live on in them, does live on in them, notwithstanding they were convicted of murder. Now that's an incomplete account for more details. And I must say Garbarino is doing some amazing work. April 22nd, the April 22nd show, listening to killers. Moving right along, the next conversation a powerful and disturbing work by Alice Dreger, professor of the history of medicine at the Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University here in Chicagoland, the April 29, 2015 show on the occasion of the publication of her book, Galileo's Middle Finger. Okay, you see a picture of him on the cover. And in fact, it's apparently some kind of a uh, scientific relic there, I believe, in the Uffizi Museum in the vicinity of Florence. His middle finger has been detached from his body. Now, how or why this happened is another question. But Dreger, so check it out, Dreger starts out as a graduate student exploring the condition known as hemaphroditism or hemaphroditism, people born with sex organs that are ambiguous as to male or female, a condition now known as intersex. And Dreger Marshall's, uh, I would say Professor Dreger, Dreger, she's actually Madam Doctor Professor Dreger. Anyway, she marshals evidence that people whose genitals, genitals, key term, are not surgically, not surgically transformed as infants and who have non-standard but otherwise healthy functioning sex organs are not worse off than those whose genitals were modified. And in many cases, these individuals flourish. So the medical model, let's go in there and make them look normal. That's has been, I think that's changing according to Professor Dreger, but that's been the model. Let's get in there and a certain definition of what is normal. Well, the recommendation is if a person is healthy, if the, if the input and output is working right, leave them alone. They flourish. This is not to be missed, I must say. You know, it's a, it's a show for adults. It's clinical. It's factual. It's amazing. Uh, and and here's, the, here's the middle finger part, right? Uh, when uh, Dreger's uh, research surface, so she advocates on behalf of the LGBT community. She advocates on behalf of the intersex community. She has many friends there. They take her in. When she surfaces evidence that is ambiguous 
and might be interpretation interpreted might result in an interpretation that goes against some things that are considered politically correct transgender issues about exclusively being the function of a man's brain born into a woman's body or vice versa. What happens, the middle finger part, is Dreger finds herself the target of anger and even rage from the advocates for whom she has been lobbying. It's not pretty. It gets ugly. Think self-righteous indignation. Now, Dreger survives. She prospers. She's still a contribution. She's still working. But it is interesting and somewhat, I would say, confronting what happens when the social justice agenda, sometimes a political agenda, it must be said, conflicts with empathy and toleration and inclusion. There's a lot to be learned there. I highly recommend the April 29th show on Alice Dreger's book and Galileo's Middle Finger. The next conversation that we had, May 6th, the May 6th, the war against domestic violence, how to know if you are in an abusive relationship. So basically, it's about boundaries. I have a great conversation with Ra Thika Sharma, uh, training and development advocate and coordinator at Apnagar, Apnagar, Hindu Urdu, meaning our home at apnagar.org, and the work they are doing in the community. It is very challenging to say just a little bit about this show. Uh, And if you listen to it, you'll find that there were some technical difficulties. I publicly apologize for that. You know, to err is human, to really mess things up sometimes requires the internet. Nevertheless, uh, look for respect for boundaries, look for Uh, considerations such as that. And so, for example, as a woman is getting ready to leave an abusive relationship and the man is experiencing what he might consider to be a loss of power, this is a dangerous time for the would-be survivor, a time in which people get hurt or even killed. And Rathika provides some coaching and guidance and counseling on a safety plan, an escape plan, And so now at another level, even if an escalation to violence is ultimately self-defeating, the abuser tries to get power back by means of force and violence. This also, interestingly enough, applies to national governments. When they've been invalidated, they become violent and start shooting peaceful demonstrators. This is a bad trend. You can read about it every day on, uh, on, on the Internet news. Uh, In no way does this mean accommodating some ideology of machismo or manliness. Basically, the equation is power up, violence down. And it applies remarkably well even in therapy. Uh, When one of the participants experiences a loss of power or control, the risk of acting out increases. And so acting out includes risky enactments of diverse kinds, including violence. So... Uh, There's no way to to net this out. You literally have to engage with the details of the conversation, the show. May 6th, the takeaway is a lot of work remains to be done on respect for violence, uh, respect for boundaries as a counter to violence. And while it is easier said than done, uh, in many cases, interventions to provide safety and to provide guidance, men are stepping up and saying, hey, what were you thinking about? 
get your act together. So uh, we're now actually coming up on a, a sponsorship break in a couple of minutes. I want to move right along to the next show uh, with Michael Boyland, thought leader in philosophy, excellence, and political engagement. That's the show that aired on May 20th, 2015, Human Rights and Empathy, Philosophy and Fiction. So Michael, Professor Boyland, is innovating in the uses of storytelling, narrative, on justifying human rights, and uh, the uses of fiction and narrative in doing so. And so we had a conversation about, uh, if you know the good, if you know what is good, will you do it? Uh, the, uh, the, the guidance is, or the argument is that you will. My takeaway is that social justice is about respect for boundaries. And respect for boundaries is, guess what, about empathy. And so in that sense, uh, we mixed it up using narrative, and uh, Michael writes fiction. He tells stories uh, um, and how that plays into issues in social justice, in American politics, in American history. A fascinating conversation. For further details, you want to check out the show on May 20th, 2015. And so we're coming up on break here. When we come back from break, we're going to continue the conversation with uh, Jonathan Brent and a rumor of empathy in how things were done in Odessa and what the heck that could possibly mean. We'll be right back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Lou Augusta is one of the premier educators and empathy consultants in action in the community today. As the author of three books on empathy and a Ph.D. from the University of Chicago Philosophy Department on Empathy and Interpretation, Lou provides three services. Empathy Consulting and Education in which he coaches individuals and organizations on how to expand the results they are getting in their life, business, or organization by expanding their empathy. Individual psychotherapy services to help with recovery from trauma or other confronting personal issues, where Lou's commitment is to provide a gracious and generous listening as providing access to shifting out of resignation into engagement, action, and accomplishment. And delivering the empathy training seminar and workshop for groups where the participants get access to the deep infrastructure of empathy. For further details, see Lou on the web at louagusta.com. That is spelled L-O-U-A-G-O-S-T-A or phone 773-203-0269. Again, louagusta.com or phone 773-203-0269.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to A Rumor of Empathy. To reach Lou Augusta or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to a rumor of empathy at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Lou Augusta. Welcome back to A Rumor of Empathy. Today, we are going over the previous 12 shows, providing you, the listener, with one or two key takeaways from each of the shows so you can decide for yourself which of the shows you'd like to listen to in more detail in the complete show itself and providing you, in effect, with a index or a table of contents to the past 12 shows. Now, I have one correction. Before the break, I was talking about the conversation I had with Michael Boylan, thought leader in philosophy, ethics, and political engagement, human rights and empathy. That show actually aired on May 15th. So correct that. You, you would get. You would probably get close with the previous date that I mistakenly gave. Nevertheless, if you have to look around, please feel free to do so. The next show was my conversation with Jonathan Brent, executive director of YIVO, Y-I-V-O. That is the Institute for Jewish research. They have the folks over there, Jonathan and his colleagues and the amazing work they are doing at Evo, have a vast archive of documents from uh, all manner of Jewish, Hebrew, Yiddish life, the many forms of the Yiddish language, which, as Jonathan explained, was really a combination of more languages than you can. My head is spinning, but at the top of the list, of course, is Hebrew, German, Russian. There's also this version of Ladino, which lived in Spain and the Sephardic North African Jewish community. In any case, the title of the show, How Things Were Done in Odessa, is from a storyteller, a writer, in effect, a Soviet author, Isaac Babel, or perhaps you say Babel. And he tells a story about, of all things, the Yiddish mafia in the city of Odessa. Now, this is, this is an, it's humorous in a kind of black humor kind of way, and humorous and humanistic and tragic and funny all rolled up into one. You must listen to it. There's out there, I believe, a CD widely distributed, Ed Asner, the former Lou Grant, uh, reading it. And so Jonathan's takeaway, one of the things, you know, much of this, much of this narrative is dark and difficult and not to underestimate 
the suffering involved in the Holocaust, in no way to undercut that. Nevertheless, Jonathan's message was there was much in the life of the Jewish people in Eastern Europe, which was celebration, the vitality, the aliveness, the productivity, the innovation, in effect, the genius, the contribution of the Jewish people should not be overlooked amidst the never forget and definitely remember so that the the bad things that happened are not repeated. But but the but is don't forget to celebrate. And also, I think Brent does an amazing job of calling out the empathy that lives in the Jewish community of that time and of all times. And that is to say the humanity which we all share. And Jonathan is actually also an interesting individual. He grew up in Chicago at a time when there were still local bookstores. People would buy the books and read them. I mean, and by the way, a shout out to his own work inside the Stalin archives, uh, 2008 and Stalin's last crime. He gets a nice blurb for the back cover by Zig. New Brzezinski, president and former President Carter's Secretary of State, about the plot by Stalin and more mischief and, and even genocide against the Jewish people, which never got off the ground. Good news there, nevertheless. Um, uh, an interesting, interesting uh, individual. Uh, he, one could, uh, he grew up at a time in Chicago where there were still bookstores. One could meet authors and colorful characters at the bookstore, such as Saul Bellow, Ben Hecht, Nelson Algren. And that store was operated by his dad, his father, Stuart Brent. And so you can hear something, you can hear the influence there, whether or not he calls it out, is specifically. Next, so that's the show, How Things Were Done, A Rumor of Empathy in Odessa about the Yiddish Mafia. Be sure to check that one out. It's, it's, a, it's a stitch. The next show, May 22nd, uh, excuse me, May 27th, 2015, a conversation with Joseph Palumbo, founding dean of the Institute for Clinical Social Work and director of the Joseph Palumbo Center for Neuroscience and Psychoanalytic Social Work. So in my conversation with Joe, he and he and I connect the dots with neurology, the dots, we human beings. So we take a moment. We human beings are neurons all the way down. Without the neurons, if the neurons don't work right, nothing works right, even that most wayward of neurologists, Sigmund Freud, writing whenever he was writing, 1900, uh, makes the point, somatic compliance, whatever the cause of one's upset disorders, even symptoms, the body cooperates. We somaticize the body symbols forth. Now be sure to have a medical checkup to be sure. Nevertheless, we are neurons all the way down, and the neurons start to generate meaning. When the neurons generate meaning, that is called consciousness. And with consciousness, if I have consciousness, can unconsciousness be far behind? So, you know, there's a lot of details here. You want to check out the show. Nevertheless, uh, uh, Joe gives the example of the husband who is forgetful. 
he forgets to pick up the kids from gymnastics or gymnastic dance. The wife is getting worried. He forgets to do things to which he is committed and agreed. Is he inconsiderate? Does he no longer love the family? We look at a number of alternative descriptions. Has he fallen out of love? Is he a jerk? Well, I mean, uh, you know, so rich comic possibilities here, but this is not stand-up comedy. There's an alternative description. An executive function disorder. In other words, a uh, barely, barely uh, diagnosable executive function brain disorder. Yet another description of the same behavior, attention deficit. So he's got a diagnosable, perhaps, consider the possibility. This is not the truth with a capital T. And so what's the treatment, right? I mean, you got, you got said, let's say we've identified the problem. What's the treatment? A series of practices and exercises acknowledging the issue. There may, it may, there may be uh, some uh, heaven's knows uh, with something like attention deficit. This is one of the... Uh, for which there have been psychopharmacological uh, interventions, as uh, we say, as they say in the business, including psychotherapy. I mean, have you considered using your smartphone and a scheduling system, right? So there's a, there's the whole conversation there uh, around disorders of the self and self-esteem. And so uh, the recommendation for further details, uh, May 27th, uh, conversation with Joseph Palumbo. Now, my next conversation was w something different. On June 3rd, I interviewed and mixed it up with Misha Zupko. Misha Zupko, Z-U-P-K-O, a Chicago-based composer. He writes music, emotionally charged, viscerally engaging, innovative, participating. And uh, Misha has, uh, uh, his father, I mean, you know, he's a composer in his own right. He's also the offspring of a composer. And uh, I'm imagining that conversation when he told his dad, well, I, dad, I want to be a composer just like you. Oh, and the poor fellow is holding his head in his hands. Nevertheless, he's got traction in the community. He's doing some amazing work and his works have been performed around the country and indeed around the planet. He's won many prestigious awards. Uh, and so, you know, empathy is all about listening, a bold statement of the obvious. What better way to take one's listening upper level or two, take it up a level or two by engaging in listening to music. So we listen, we look at taking our listening in new directions. We get a good stretch out of our comfort zone. I mean, music stimulates us to intense emotions, both high and low. Music sets the mood in movies. It uh, stimulates buying behavior in advertisement. It actually relieves depression. It gets people dancing. Music can stimulate people with Parkinson's disease who cannot otherwise move. They're literally frozen. And with the right music, they find that they can move again. Stroke patients can sing words that they cannot otherwise say. So the stroke is taken out the language area of the brain, more neuroscience at this point. But singing 
saying words while singing is and involves a different area of the brain. So one can recover some of the language processing and the, the brain is more elastic than we might imagine. And so, I mean, this show was not actually about music therapy. Nevertheless, there's a conversation to be had. It is a powerful force for bringing people together in the community, right? A thought for the day. The world is embodied music. Modern neuroscience supports the philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer. And in fact, music takes up more space in the brain than language does. Being human means being musical. So if you, if you want to, and I urge you to engage with further details with the musician, teacher, composer, Misha Zupko, the show, June 3rd, 2015. So we're, we're doing great. We're, we're keeping on schedule. We will actually be able to have something to say about each of the shows. And then we can, if we have extra time at the end, we can come back and talk in more detail about some of the issues that we didn't have perhaps uh, enough time in our first pass. So the next show, June 10th, 2015, Everything you wanted to know about emerging adulthood but were afraid to ask. Addiction, learning challenges, failure to launch, helicopter parents. So my special guests were doctors Jesse Viner and Dale Monroe Cook, who are respectively the executive director and the chief clinical office officer at the Yellow Brick program, a national treatment center specializing in working with troubled emerging adults. So you've heard of the identity crisis, many of you, that, that's something that has crossed over into the general co population and conversation, Eric Erickson, 1963 <laughs> identity. Well, take that up a level. Uh, in in the, the world... You know, the world is the world. If nothing else, the world is the world. You can take that to the bank. And it seems to take longer and longer to grow up. There are more challenges. The world has not gotten simpler. That's for sure. So what is emerging adulthood? You can hear more details, of course, with Viner and Monroe Cook. Uh, it's, it's what kind of breakdowns do the generations between 18 years old and 29 years old, so that's the chronological period we're kind of struggling with here, in, in terms of engaging in relationships, careers, finance, life. And so Monroe Cook and Viner, uh, in effect, mix it up with me on the show about the kinds of breakdowns, self-defeating behavior, emotional upset, addiction, learning disabilities, acting out, how to turn these things around and create breakthroughs in accomplishment, personal satisfaction, and rewarding results. You know, as well as I do, that the headlines are filled with cliches about helicopter parents. I may actually be guilty of that. You know, I confess I did it. Would you care to confess, Lou? I confess I did it. Sometimes I was too intrusive. My heart was in the right place. And some, you know, good news, I didn't do a lot of damage. But sometimes uh, I must say, give a shout out to parents. It's sometimes not an easy job. It's about parenting is about setting boundaries. First, you do your homework. Then you go to the mall. 
you get it. And sometimes good news on a good day, the kids listen. And on a less good day, you struggle and you try to continue to set limits. And the, the plan is that if you're there for them when they really need the help, maybe there's a good chance they'll listen. So anyway, to get back to the, this is Lou Augusta, not doctors Jesse Viner and Dale Monroe Cook. Nevertheless, I think they'd more or less align with what I'm saying on this point. So the real world reality of young adults struggling with personal issues has gotten more and more complicated. And in particular, if the individual is, for whatever reason, disequilibriated, acting out, drinking, behaving in self defeating ways engaging in unprotected sex for example this would not uh, this is not recommended bad idea skateboarding down the middle of interstate 94 bad idea don't hurt yourself okay so this is kind of edgy humor here at this point nevertheless people manage to find ways of doing risky things on motorcycles and with automobiles it's not funny so nevertheless monroe cook a takeaway from this show you can take this one to the bank. All behavior is communication. There are fewer accidents than one might imagine. And so one has to look at the behavior while trying to set boundaries and limits and getting things back under control. All behavior is communication. The young person is trying. Remember Galileo's middle finger, right? I mean, that may be the subtext of some of the messages that parents are giving. And you now one possibility is to react with reagent control. The other possibility is to try to get the message, acknowledge the message and say, is there some way we can work together? Don't hurt yourself so that you can have a life. More details are available on the June 10th, 2015 show on emerging adulthood with doctors Jesse Viner and Dale Monroe Cook. That's a takeaway. Now we are coming up on another break. And when we come back, you're going to hear about my conversation with Stan Chat, Alien Love, and some of the work I've been doing. I took two shows to talk about top 10 empathy tips and techniques. We'll be right back. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Lou Augusta is one of the premier educators and empathy consultants in action in the community today. As the author of three books on empathy and a Ph.D. from the University of Chicago Philosophy Department on Empathy and Interpretation, Lou provides three services. Empathy Consulting and Education, in which he coaches individuals and organizations on how to expand the results they are getting in their life, business, or organization by expanding their empathy individual psychotherapy services to help with recovery from trauma or other confronting personal issues where Lou's commitment is to provide a gracious and generous listening. 
as providing access to shifting out of resignation into engagement, action, and accomplishment, and delivering the empathy training seminar and workshop for groups where the participants get access to the deep infrastructure of empathy. For further details, see Lou on the web at louagusta.com. That is spelled L-O-U-A-G-O-S-T-A or phone 773-203-0269. Again, louagusta.com or phone 773-203-0269. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to A Rumor of Empathy. To reach Lou Augusta or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to arumorofempathy at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Lou Augusta. Welcome back to A Rumor of Empathy, our show today we are giving you, the listener, a index or table of contents to the past 12 shows. And so you can listen to this short summary and then decide which of the shows, or multiple of them, uh, as the case may be, you want to listen to in its entirety to get value, to expand your commitment of empathy and the empathy in the community. And so the next conversation that I had was with author, Professor Dr. Stan Shatt, 624, this was on June 24, 2015, on occasion of the publication of his science fiction novel, Alien Love. Okay, pause for laughter. I think this was a great conversation, and I can hear in my imaginary listening some skepticism. Nevertheless, this is mainline critical path about empathy. I mean, you've got to hear, I mean, Stan is worth listening to in any case. This man is a Renaissance man. There are a couple of them out there and women as well. I'm thinking Alice Dreger, there's a Renaissance person, woman, if ever there was one. Stan is on the short list. So here's the idea. I mean, so boy meets girl, girl turns out to be an alien. Okay. So one of the things that Stan said to me, right, you know, usually it's like whatever it was, uh, 4th of July, Independence Day, right? The aliens are bad guys coming. They blow up a lot of stuff. There's some great explosions. People are entertained, but it's like, well, whatever. Okay. So it's another war movie. No, 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 no. The aliens arrive and they want to convert us to their religion. Hmm. 
sounds like Columbus arriving in uh, what would become uh, the Dominican Republic and converting the indigenous people. It didn't go very well for the indigenous people, right? I mean, he was perhaps a great navigator, but he was a questionable administrator, and a lot of people suffered and died as a result of the administration. And some people would also consider it genocide. I'm not sure I can go there today. Nevertheless, I call it out. Okay, so here's the idea. Empathy is about getting access to, being with the other, the other person, the other individual, the other creature. People who have dogs and cats and family pets knows know that these creatures, these individuals, ha- experience emotions. Now, that's not yet empathy. It's communication of affect, which if further processed, further processed by empathic understanding, empathic interpretation, empathic responsiveness becomes full-blown, unfolded, developed adult empathy. So there's an emotional communication there. And if you don't go any further, it remains emotional contagion. It falls back to a kind of emotional infection. So that there are degrees of otherness, key term. I mean, and, and in fact, you know, Stan is in a long tradition. I want to give a shout out to the, to the novellas of Philip K. Dick, right? Do androids dream of electric sheep? It would become the movie, a cult classic, Blade Runner with the young Harrison Ford, in which you tell the android, you can tell if the person or would-be person is an android because they lack empathy. That's the empathy test. The androids don't have empathy. That's how we know. And actually, then it becomes a detective movie or a kind of a war movie in its own way, where the, there's good guys and there's bad guys and there's some violent fight scenes in that movie. So, you know, and, but amazing special effects. Absolutely. It creates a kind of interesting, another, yet another negative fantasy of the future. And the critique of the movie was, hey, in this movie, the androids were empathic. Right. And the humans lacked empathy. So it was kind of role reversal, a shout out to uh, Ebert and uh, Siskel at that point. That was their review. I think there was on this occasion. They agreed on that one. So alien love, mix it up with. And there are degrees of otherness. Right. I mean, we heard a degree of otherness in James Gabarino, Professor Gabarino's conversations and listening to killer. There's an otherness there. Is there humanity? The rumor of empathy is there's humanity there. And Garbarino, Garbarino is committed to finding it. And often, I would say without exception, he does. He surfaces the humanity. That's the challenge. Where's the humanity? The criminally insane. That's a high bar, right? That's not the easy one. The easy one is the survivor. The, the, and, and there's not, I mean, and sometimes that's not so easy either, is it? And so the the commitment is to make empathy present. And that actually segues out of the particular conversation I had with Stan on June 24th around his many novels and the interesting work he's doing in business and technology and all kinds of fantasy into general tips and techniques and taking the conversation about empathy 
up a level. So amazingly enough, we've actually got, I said something about all of our guests and it's not complete. And I've, you know, I ask your understanding. I've kind of taken it out of context. I ask you, please don't quote them out of context. And really it's my spin, my interpretation on what these colleagues and associates and friends have had to say. In every case, I submit to you, and I suggest that there's empathy there. They're taking empathy into the community and expanding it. Now, uh, bring it back home. Lou, define your terms. I mean, empathy means a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, there's Heinz Kohut's famous definition, vicarious introspection. Uh, what the heck does that mean? Well, Kohut also said uh, something I like to quote. Empathy is like oxygen for the soul. So if I'm experiencing a shortness of breath, metaphorically, symbolically, I might want to ask myself, am I getting enough empathy? And sometimes, you know, the answer is yes. And sometimes it's, well, you know, that's, a, that's something where, where it might make a difference. And so if you're experiencing a shortness of breath, I'm a, com I'm a commitment. I mean, this is, I'm a commitment to working with you. I'd love to hear from you. I invite you to reach out and contact me. What's your, you know, what value have you gotten? What do you think I need to hear? I'm a listening. What's your take on all of this? So really, this is an invitation to be in communication. Lugusta at gmail.com. A rumor of empathy, one word. A rumor of empathy, one word at gmail.com. Nevertheless, let's continue to do the work here. We have a few minutes till the top of the hour, and I gave myself two shows. Top 10, I think I got to eight out of 10 tips and techniques, uh, shout out for myself here, on June 17th, 2015, and then it, it was continued two weeks later on July 1st, 2015. Empathy, tips and techniques, empathy is like oxygen for the soul. And so empathy 101, right? I mean, the short definition, folk psychology, folk wisdom defines empathy as walking in the other person's shoes. I agree with folk wisdom. Don't disagree with folk wisdom. The folk wisdom is almost never wrong. It's almost always right. Sometimes it's incomplete, right? And the lesson is I gotta have, it's useful, maybe essential to have some concept of the other person's shoe size and what the shape of their foot is, right? To extend the metaphor, I got to know where the shoes pinch and where the shoes chafe because that's sometimes, frankly, the pain. Now, be open to good news and be open to joy and vitality and aliveness, but sometimes the pain, you know, rarely does my phone ring as an empathy consultant, as a psychotherapist, as an empathy trainer. Let me tell you how great my life is going. I, I'm, you know, everything is great. I made a lot of money. My relationship is going great. Everything is great. Well, uh, yeah, please feel free to call. In fact, wouldn't that be so great? I'd love to hear from you on that. Uh, and nevertheless, sometimes the message is a little bit more challenging. Sometimes it's a lot more challenging. There's significantly more effort and significantly more struggle and pain. So where do the shoes chafe? Where do the shoes pinch because if I just put my foot in your shoes, it's not going to work. I'm going to learn something about myself, perhaps on a good day, but it's not going to be about you. So that's the challenge with the folk definition. You by all means take a walk in the other shoes and remember to think about what shoe size they have in relation to you and how that makes you feel. So it shows up. That's how empathy shows up. And 
uh, it shows up also, I suggest, in being quiet. The form of language in which empathy lives is listening. So I can hear the cynic say, you've been doing too much talking, Lou. And I acknowledge that. This is a talk show. We're going to work with that. That's going to be okay. We're going to get it get it going in the right direction because sometimes one has to be empathically responsive in order to make empathy present, to bring empathy forth in the space. And what that looks like is removing obstacles to empathy, removing shame, removing guilt, acknowledging integrity outages. If there's an integrity outage and inauthenticity, acknowledge it clean it up. I don't owe any good news. I don't owe anybody any money, but if I did arrange to pay it, get it handled. And then empathy comes forth. It's not about money, but it's about integrity and honoring and respecting and recognizing and acknowledging and being with the other person. So empathy shows up as a form of receptivity. I'm open to the other. What's going on over there? What is possible for the other? What is the other dealing with relating to the other, not just in the struggle that they have, that the other person has in the moment that is there and that is present. But what actually, this is like 1927, Martin Heidegger, being in time, understanding is understanding of possibility. That's straight out of chapter five. So I understand the other person. The commitment is to understand the other person as a possibility. He was not only, Heidegger was not only talking about people, but he was talking about ways of being. Okay, so hold that thought. Nevertheless, open and receptive to the other person, what's possible for the other person. I don't necessarily run off and tell them that, hey, you know what's wrong with you? That's not gonna work. How do you think that's gonna land? Not very well. And so be aware, uh, a wise individual, I, I call it out, told me, Lou, whenever you get ready to say something, think about how that's going to land. What's the effect going to be on that other person? Is this an empathic response? Or is it provocative? Or is it getting off? Or is it being justified? Or is it, you know, and, and often it's a good, honest attempt to communicate. That's good also. Don't forget that possibility. Be in that space. Engage. And so... So it's hard to say just a little bit about each of these shows or about empathy. Each opens up a universe. Each opens up a rumor of empathy. And in every case, without exception, the rumor is validated, confirmed. Empathy lives in the work of the colleagues, associate friends, and empathy lives in the work you are doing, expanding it in the community. This is Lou Augusta on behalf of A Rumor of Empathy. Thanks for being with the show. Carry on. Thank you for tuning in to A Rumor of Empathy with Lou Augusta. Please join us again next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope to see you again next week. We'll be right back.